Children, before you go, I just want to say this. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Are y'all listening to me? Right here. Children, what are you supposed to do to your parents? Obey, obey them. This is what God says you're to do. Fathers and mothers are to train and to nurture, but your responsibility is to obey. You're dismissed and you may go to children's church this time. We're continuing our series on family matters. Uh, we've been talking about the different aspects of family, how important that is. We talked about roles. And one of the bad things I think that we've done in the church is we've talked what you're supposed to do, but we've not given you any tools about how to do. And so we're trying to correct that a little bit and, and broad brushing a little bit, giving you some, some ideas about there's different aspects of family and especially with children and raising them that would help you. For example, it goes on in that same chapter, in, in chapter 6, says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. And of course, this is the office of the children. We talked about the office of the, uh, the father. We talked about the office of the mother. And we talked about the cell or the organism of the family being the cell of society. For your society is going to look like your family. It just is. Just like I'm going to look like the health of the cells of my body. That's what I'm going to look like. And most of you know I've got some pretty healthy cells. <laughs> and the family is going through some difficulty right now. Our society is not what it should be. We've got to get back to the basis of understanding our scriptural responsibility of how we were created and what God has called us to do. And it begins with man and woman and marriage and families. For thus goes the family, thus goes society. So to understand that, we needed to understand our offices. And verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord but here's what I found most of the time nowadays is children are exasperating the fathers as much as the fathers are exasperating the children now fathers here I, I don't think it's just limited just to the males I believe that this is to the parents cell itself the fathers and mothers but here's the deal, is that we get exasperated by our children because we're exasperating them because we don't understand how to train them. Scripture says we're to train them, but just because somebody tells me I'm supposed to do something, if I have no knowledge base of how to do it, guess what? It either gets done real poorly or it doesn't get done at all. And I'm afraid we're facing that scenario in our family, that it gets not done at all and a lot of kids are raising themselves did you know that a lot of kids are raising themselves 
And, and when we do try to train them, we're doing it in the wrong way. We're talking to three and four year olds like they should be 30 years old and trying to reason with them and, 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 and we're just getting exasperated and they're exasperating us because we're trying to train them in a mode or a format that's inappropriate for their development in life. We talked about this over and over and over again that, that I have to, I've raised my children in different phases of life. I talk to them in two, from infant to three-year-old, actually from infant to toddlers differently than I do from toddlers to first to second grade and then different from that till about fifth or sixth grade. In other words, my parenting style has to change with the development of my children for them to be able to understand. And of course, I have the luxury of being married to a developmental psychologist that understands these growth traits and I've taught her everything I know how to teach and, and, and she's doing really well at it and uh, I take no pride in that <laughs> I can't help it it just comes out but anyway I've asked her, of course she did last Sunday, uh, she came and t told us a little bit about the developmental issues that we have in children, giving us some ideas of the proper way to instruct and to encourage our children. And so it won't exasperate us and it won't exasperate them, but helpful, hopefully giving us some tools that that will be intertwined and we can both grow both grow. And by the way, if you think you're the adult and you're, you're stopped growing, you have all the impartation, but you have no uh, intake in your life, well, somebody needs to train you a little bit about where you are because you haven't arrived. Say amen. amen. That means you agree with that, okay? I haven't either. I'm still learning. I will still learn until the day I die. I will still learn and I will never give up on the concept that I can learn and I have things to learn because once I've done that I've become an isolated island and it's just like a potato that's harvested and no longer grows it can do only two things it can either rot or feed somebody that's all it can do okay and I'm not even though I may look like it but I'm not no tater <laughs> God has called us to do special things. He's created us to do wonderful things. And we just want to be able to give you some tools that might aid you in this quest of knowledge and training in the family unit. Would y'all welcome Janet as she comes this morning. Good morning. God guide my words and, and open all of our hearts. Um, when the children left the sanctuary, Steve read the, past, the, the scripture, children obey your parents. And parents, I think we need to always remember that we're children of God. We too are children and we have been uh, given two great commands, as I said last week. Our, the two greatest commandments are to love God and then secondly to love others as ourselves. And as a parent, in the system of the family, we have to always remember that. And when we're struggling, we remember we're children to whom do we look for guidance, we look to God. And as we try to impart wisdom and give tools to our children, we are also trying to teach the, them those two commandments. And everything that we learn, everything that we try to impart to our children should focus around that. 
Remember that I said also the family is, the, is hopefully the first place that children will experience the gospel. Not only learning the story from scripture, but, but even more basically learning what love is, learning what the guidelines are for behavior, learning what sin is, learning how to confess that sin, and then learning that you can be forgiven and have the renewal of love and forgiveness in the family. If they learn that in the family, that will take them a long way in their walk with Christ. Now, as we talk about ways of parenting, um, there are two, two dimensions of uh, what seems to be the most successful parenting styles. And the, the, those two dimensions are being very responsive to your child, being willing to talk, to explain reasons and rules, and being willing to listen. And the other dimension seems to be being, uh, having high demands for your child. Setting rules, making them clear, being, being constantly uh, a monitor for that child, monitoring their behavior, and following through and holding them accountable for their behavior. When you look at that type of parenting style, it seems to uh, result in the best outcome, not only for our culture, and if you look uh, throughout the world, the, the world varies in so many different kind of cultures and family structures and faiths. And yet, in all of these cultures studied, this type of parenting seems to yield the best results. Children who are reared with very responsive parents who are willing to talk, to explain, and to listen learn how to communicate successfully. They learn the art of, of positive discourse. They learn that social dance of the give and take of discourse. They learn how to express themselves in relationships. When they have parents who uh, are demanding in that they set firm rules and guidelines, they learn how to obey authority. And they learn how to respect authority. When they are monitored and held accountable, they learn to accept responsibility. And these children know how to step out in society, take initiative. They've learned a sense of self-efficacy that I've been held to high standards and accountability, and I can do it. And these are the kids that step out in society. They take initiative. They are motivated. And then they, too, can become our leaders to carry forth those two great commandments, which is really what we're doing. Now, as Steve wanted me to talk about today, adolescence, there's so much we could talk about with adolescence, but I'm just going to start with some very basics. When you look at kids going into adolescence, and in my field, in the sciences, we talk about adolescence once a child starts to show signs of going into puberty. Strange things start happening to this old body. If you look just at the growth, the hands and the feet start to grow so fast, then the arms and the legs catch up and you still have this little baby bod. Takes a while for that trunk. And you say, well, what's, other than that being so strange, you know, that's, they look a little weird, what's so odd about that? Well, you know, a child has to get used to their new dimensions. Sometimes they get a little bit klutzy. You're walking around with boats for feet and you still have a baby bod. And you're trying, to, you're trying to be proud of this new body because you're taking on whole new dimensions, but you've got to become comfortable with it yourself. So not only are they getting used to physical changes, but there are also a number of psychological tasks that they have. 
They have to, to grow comfortable with their new body, whatever it may be. And it may not be what's on the cover of the, the top magazines at the time. It may not be what's portrayed in the media. And did you know that those kids who watch the most television, the more time, I'll put it this way, the more time children spend watching television and social media, the lower their level of, of well-being is. They show higher rates of anxiety, lower self-esteem, higher rates of depression. It's been documented over and over and over again. Because you see, they're not seeing reality in what they're supposed to become. And they're not learning how to negotiate relationships with others when they spend so much time in front of the media. But they're getting used to this new body. They're having to learn to negotiate relationships with the opposite sex. We as adults are saying, well, you know what? You're coming of age. We're training you to become young adults. So you need to step out there and be a little bit more independent, take on some more responsibility, learn how to socialize. And they're, they're trying to learn how to do it. And society gives some pretty lax rules about that, some pretty liberal guidelines. And these adolescents are just sort of swimming. They don't know exactly where the guidelines are often because they're expected to be young adults too soon. They tried to read people. They try to understand from their behaviors and their emotions, and yet they don't fully understand, even yet, how emotions are always linked to behaviors. So their psychological tasks are pretty deep. They're trying to figure out their giftings, what they have of value that they can lend to society to step out and be an independent contributing member. And we as parents have to help them find their giftings not feed them a bunch of falsehoods that you're just as good as everyone else in everything that you do, but to help them understand their strengths, their giftings that they can share with society, and help them to understand their weaknesses and how to work with those weaknesses. Now, when it comes to the day-to-day -day behavior of dealing with adolescents, they don't want to go to sleep at night, they don't want to get out of the bed in the morning. Are they being lazy? Are they being rebellious? Not for the most part. You know, the hormone that makes us sleepy, melatonin, as you start to go into adolescence, it starts to be secreted later and later in the evening hours. So when your adolescent tells you at 9 and 10 o'clock, I'm not sleepy, well, you need to turn off the TV, turn off the lights, and get ready to go to bed because we have an early morning tomorrow. But I'm not sleepy. I'm not going to go to sleep anyway if you turn off the lights. I'm just going to lay there awake. What good is that? Well, just shut your eyes, count sleep, and pretend, count sheep and pretend you're going to sleep. They may not. Because you see, the melatonin's not going to, it's not going to flood their bloodstream until later than it did for younger children. And when it starts to flood their, their bloodstream later, that means it's going to stay in their bloodstream at heavier concentrations in the morning hours. So when you go in there and you try to pull them out of bed and they don't want to come, are they trying to be rebellious and lazy and just not make your day a good one? No. It would be, it would be the same as you taking a sleeping tablet in the middle of the night and it still hasn't worn off early in the morning. Their bodies are changing. 
And so it helps a little bit if we understand some of those things and help them to work with those changes. Actually, nationally, we've changed some of our school policies, understanding that these things are going on with children and their sleep patterns. We've actually set start times for many of the uh, middle schools and high schools a little bit later because we know that these kids can function later instead of having them come earlier sometimes than even the younger kids came. When you look at their decision-making processes, we know adolescents can engage in very risky behavior. They oftentimes don't stop to think before they act. They're going through very, very rapid brain development. Now, academically, if you set them down with a, uh, some problem-solving scenarios or memory tasks, they can function at as high a level as any adult once they're solidly into adolescence. But when it comes to real-life, daily living, relationship types of problem-solving, they're still working things out. And one thing you need to understand about an adolescent is that the emotional part of their brain and the motivational part, the motivational part that leads us to feelings for hunger, for sexual activity, the emotions that we feel for anger, that part of our brain matures much, much sooner than does the higher level of the brain that helps us to check those emotions, to reason through them and inhibit bad behavior. Those, those links haven't been made yet. So as a child is going through adolescence, the highest level of the cerebral cortex is developing very, very quickly, helping us to learn how to act in certain situations. We're learning that. And even so, once we have learned it and been exposed to it, the connections with the emotional brain aren't really as strong as they need to be yet. So when these kids get caught up with a group of peers engaging in risky behavior, it's very hard for them to stop a behavior that's already underway. You know, we might be able to stop ourselves immediately and think, what was I thinking? This is dangerous. This could hurt somebody. I'm going to get in trouble with the law. What was I thinking? We can put the brakes on very quickly as an adult. Those connections have not been strengthened yet in the adolescent's brain. So it's hard for them to stop. That's why some of our legislation on penalties for juvenile offenders have changed. You know, you can, you can charge a juvenile as an adult in some of the, the more atro atrocious crimes, but no longer can you sentence them to death, no longer can you sentence them to, to life without parole because we finally realized that their way of, their ability to regulate behavior is not the same as an adult's. Does that give them free guidelines? Absolutely not. That's where it becomes so important to have a parent in the home teaching, setting guidelines, monitoring, and holding these kids accountable to help them learn those things. Their brain is also very sensitive to novel experiences. It's very sensitive to drugs at this point. And uh, an adolescent is much more likely to become addicted to drugs. I say an alcohol, alcohol is a, a very strong drug. They're much more likely to become addicted than is an older adult. They become addicted with fewer exposures. They become addicted 
to lower it with lower exposures to the drug. And I've heard so many parents say, I would rather my child play around with alcohol, smoke, you know, use a little pot, see what it's like at home under my counsel in a safe place than I would if that, for them to get out with a group of friends and try it. And I cannot disagree with that more. I cannot disagree with it more because what those parents don't realize that, that, that I disagree with that on so many levels but what those parents don't realize is that it may only take one time of exposing that child to a drug and they become addicted whereas an, a, an older person in their mid to late 20s or 30s might not become addicted about 80 to 85 percent of all addictions begin in adolescence and they're very hard to break when they start then. The body just handles drugs differently. Now, to look at other things, you know, they, adolescents take risk because they can't think clearly on the moment, on the spot, and they're much more willing to take risk when they're with peers. And the research shows this so clearly if you put an adolescent in a tempting situation with peers engaging in risky deviant behavior, they're much more likely to go along than an adult would be. Again, because they can't stop, they can't put the reasoning to that behavior and stop an action underway as quickly as an adult can. That's why it's wise to tell adolescents, you may now have your license, but you're not allowed to take more than one other friend in the car with you at any time. They're much less likely to have an, uh, an accident, to be distracted, to start playing chase in the cars, to speed, if they have one other than they are if they have three or four peers in there and people get a little carried away wanting to have some fun. They really have a hard time resisting peer pressure. And part of it has to do with the physiology of the brain. Now, what do you do about it? They're at the peak of risk-taking at 14 and 15 years of age, and that's when the gap between their risk-taking initiative and their ability to control it is the broadest. So what do you do? What's a parent to do? Well, one of the things that we can do is give them opportunities for healthy risk-taking. Encourage them to try out for a sports team. Encourage them to try out for the play at school. Endeavor, get, in, get involved in some creative activities. Do a ropes course with your child. There are a lot of healthy, safe things you can do that involve risk. And these kids are so full of potential. We hear about all the negatives, all the things they can't do yet, but they are so full of potential and their sense of invulnerability, even though it may have some negative aspects and that they are willing to take risk and they don't think they can get hurt, it all, this, this in, sense of invulnerability has a very positive side because you see adolescents are more willing to step out, to speak up for others, to demand e equality and fairness. If you look around you and you see how many social institutions and programs were initiated by adolescents because they didn't fear speaking up, they have so much potential. And we should encourage that. We should encourage healthy risk taking. We should encourage them to discover their gifts. We should encourage them to be active in society 
because as their brain is developing so rapidly making connections, I forgot to mention something that's rather paradoxical. Not only are they making so many connections very quickly, but their brain is also pruning itself at the same time. Because you see, in, in developmental psychology, one of the cliches that is so very true is that you use, use it or lose it, whether it's a physical skill, a cognitive skill, the sexual response, you can apply it to so many different things. If you use an ability, it gets stronger, faster, and better. If you don't use it, it becomes weaker. And nowhere is that more true than in the physiology of the brain and neural connections being formed. Now, why do I bring that into our discussion of adolescence? Because if they are not actively using their mind, exploring and learning to use their potential, then many of those neural networks that are not being activated are going to start to be pruned. They're going to start to atrophy and disappear. And as a matter of fact, up to 40% of all the synapses, the connections in our cerebral cortex, will be pruned in adolescence. That's almost half. So this is not a time for us to just take hands off of adolescence, let them be and do what they want to do. This is a time to help them see their potential to push them, to encourage them, to learn, to take on new activities. Because you want to make sure when those synapses that are pruned disappear, that it's not for something they needed to be doing, if that makes any sense. If you ask adolescents how much time they want to spend with their parents, this, this is going to surprise you. This may surprise you. We think kids want independence. They do want to know how to become independent. They do need some time with peers. But in all the research I've looked at, adolescents are more likely to say they want more time with their parents, unless the parents are abusive. They want more time, about anywhere from 85 to 90% of them will say they want more time. But if you look at what the parents say on the questionnaires, most of the parents want less time. Why is that? Is it because we have unrealistic expectations for adolescents and we don't know how to handle them? Is it because we feel like we're lacking the tools to know how to engage and we don't understand them? They want more time. They want guidelines. They want to have structure and they want to be monitored. They want it to be communicated in a positive vein. And most parents have no clue of that. Absolutely no clue. They are a little bit more difficult to handle because they're very idealistic. They've just learned to think abstractly and with abstract thought and logical thinking becomes this, this ideal of what parents should be. An ideal of what the best teacher would be. And we as parents may not always match that ideal. It's a little bit difficult sometimes then. But their idealism will slowly soften up a little bit as they start to understand real life. 
We just have to embrace it and see that they're growing in their ability to think abstractly. No, they're going to soften up a little bit, but they need guidelines to understand. Overall, I think we need to find, help our, our kids find their gifts, their sparks. We need to help them to understand what they have to offer. We need to model and explain. When we want to teach them how to say no or how to reason through something, teach them to look at their environment, not to put themselves in a bad scenario. Your company really does affect your behavior. And no, at no time does it affect it more so than it does in adolescence. We need to help them role play. What would you do if somebody offered you this drug? What would you do if you're at the ball game? What would you do if you're at the dance? The love of your life wants you to engage in a sexual behavior that you don't think is appropriate. You can tell them academically all the possible negative outcomes, but if you don't give them the skills and the tools to know how to interact at the moment, it's not going to help them very much. And one thing that we don't do very often is help them to role play in a safe environment. And to do that, it might mean that we as parents have to role play with them. And it might mean that we have to share those moments when we were frightened, when we were intimidated, when perhaps we made wrong decisions. Share that thought process with them so they can use that to put it in their toolbox to help them understand why they need to do certain things and not to engage in other behaviors. Be consistent. Most parents are afraid of, of adolescents rebelling. Rebellion doesn't follow uh, strict guidelines and monitoring. That doesn't cause rebellion. The factors that cause rebellion in adolescents are a parent who's arbitrary. They, they, they just, they don't give reason and rationale for their rules and for the consequences. They're just very arbitrary because I said so. I'm the parent, I'm the adult. That engenders, that brings on rebellion. A parent who's inconsistent, inconsistency leads to rebellion. And it's not just inconsistency in how you enforce the rules or the reasons you give why, but it's also inconsistency between what you say and what you do. That inconsistency leads to rebellion. And the last major factor is not giving a child any autonomy. When we try to control them too much, if we don't give them a little bit of autonomy, saying that, you know, I do believe you have the ability to reason through some of this. I'm going to help you do that and be an adult, but I'm going to give you your space. If we don't give them autonomy, then that's, that's really speaking out of two sides out of our mouth. I'm expecting you to be an adult and grow up and act like one, but I'm not going to give you any room to show me. So arbitrariness, inconsistency, and a lack of autonomy is what, what tends to lead to rebelliousness in teenagers. And then I think last of all, we have to engender in our, our kids at any age a growth mindset. And the growth mindset is letting them know that you, through hard effort, through persistence, you can change what you are now. You can learn more than you know now. You can improve your skills. You are not set 
in the same position that you are now for life. You can become smarter. You can become wiser. You're not stupid because you made a mistake. We need to give them the tools to know that they are constantly growing. And we need to show them how we have a growth mindset about ourselves, how we are always trying to, to improve ourselves, to grow and to learn. And that way they know when they make a mistake, I might not have been smart enough, I might have made a, a, a bad judgment, but I'm not a bad person, I'm growing and changing. I just made a mistake. There's a huge difference between those two things. Lastly, if you always remember that you're teaching the gospel at home, you're teaching the gospel at home and you're, you're teaching your kids through your reasoning and through your example to love God above all and then to love your neighbor as yourself, you won't go wrong. You won't go wrong. Thank you. Uh, there's, I took some notes, and I just want to go over them real briefly. Uh, first of all, I'm, one of the things I noticed that just because a child doesn't want to get up in the morning doesn't mean they're lazy. It means they've got melatonin that's, that's kicking in, that kicks in later. You know, as you grow older, it's conversely, it kicks in earlier. You know, my melatonin keeps in at 5 o'clock. <laughs> I can't watch the news without taking a nap. So, so that and how you feel and grumpy when your melatonin kicks in, that's kind of the way they feel, understand. That's, uh, that's helpful. It, she also said that adults can make decisions and understand when to pull back and stop doing something. And the kid might not be able to do that at this point. Some of you need to grow up. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, the third thing I wrote down is risk. Kids need to take risks because they need that thrill or uh, the development and stuff about taking risks. Hey, ride a roller coaster. Uh, ride a roller coaster with them. Do something out of the norm. You know, with my children, I took risks with them. I mean, I went to a Baskin Robbins one time and got French vanilla instead of vanilla. <laughs> And looked at him and said, let's go for it, man. You know, take a risk. You know, take risk with your children. But make sure the risks are appropriate to what you want to teach them. Amen? Okay. And um, company they keep affects behavior. The old saying, my daddy used to have a saying, you know, it says birds of a feather. If you want to know who you are, look at the people you hang out with. You heard stories of that, you know, things like Think about that, guys. Who your children associates with is oftentimes who they're going to be. Now, i got news for you, too. Who you hang out with and associate with is often what you will look like as well. Just keep that uh, in the back of your mind. And another thing that I've got from, from what she said is role play. Role play is, is very big, especially with adolescents, talking through and say, okay, what would you do? Now have them do it for me. That's called the difference between teaching and training. We're called to train our children, right? The best method of, tra of training is role play, where you teach them a lesson and then you practice them doing that lesson so they'll be comfortable doing it. You know, 
saying I love you to somebody when you, if you've never told anyone you love them is very difficult. But if you practice saying I love you to somebody, it helps overcome those strange and sometimes difficult words and emotions to be expressed. Okay? Has this been helpful? Yes. Very good. Uh, what we're going to do today is, is this. I want to encourage you that if you're parenting, you saying, Lord, I am just messing up all over the place. Well, guess what? There's good news for you. You can start learning and adapting and putting some of these principles into effect. It's not too late. Don't think I've gone too, down, too far down the river and I can't make any corrections. Yes, you can Yes, you can. Okay, I've got grown kids and grandkids, but I'm still making corrections along the way as well. I'm still, did you remember what I said? I'm still learning. I'm still learning. So if I'm still learning, that means I can do different things. I can still put what I learn into application. Okay, so... If you're, if you're on this road, you say, Lord, I'm messing up, I'm doing wrong things and stuff, it's okay. It's okay. Start taking one bite at a time. Take one thing that you heard today, if you have adolescent children, and try to apply that. Just one thing. Then when you get that fairly looking good, look at another thing. Look at another thing. Just bite it off one piece at a time. If you need help, if you need counsel, call people. Talk to people and say, I'm having this issue. I'm having this struggle. What's your suggestion? Understand, I noticed, I love this about what she said. Children don't rebel against rules and regulations and being accountable children rebel about us being inconsistent with what we say and what we do in other words talk the talk but walk the walk amen and you don't have to be perfect about it what it means is that you have to earnestly try kids know that you can't be perfect in it but they know if you're giving a good effort in it or not hello they know if you're giving a good effort I guarantee you they'll know Try. Give a good effort. You don't have to be perfect, but try. 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 Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to try. Say, so some of you say, well, I don't have kids and stuff. You need to try too. Because it takes everybody to raise children. You remember when we do the dedications up here and I ask you, are you going to help these parents train this child and encourage this child and support this child? It takes everybody to do this. Reinforcement, 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 reinforcement. One thing after another. You glad you came to church today? Amen. I'm glad you did too. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be dismissed. We're going to have a prayer of dismissal. And then we're going to give about five or ten minutes to then those that are partnering with the church. We need to have just a short business meeting. We'll do that. It won't last but a few minutes, and then, then y'all will be dismissed after that. Janet and I will be in the back to greet those that want to leave. We'll take about five or ten minutes, and then we'll come back and do the short meeting. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day, the blessings of it. We thank you for all that you're teaching us, Lord. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to receive this, Lord, that transformation can take place. Holy Spirit, move on us. Move on us. Enlighten us. Help us to know where we are so we can reach to where you want us to be. And we need that through the grace and mercy and the love of you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving us or forsaking us and helping us in all our situations. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.
Amen. Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook and Instagram. And please download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.